welcome to episode two of 27th Heaven, a podcast about the Angels, mostly about the Angels. I'm Fabian Ardaya, the Angels beat writer for The Athletic, and this week's guest is Justin Toscano, the Mets beat writer for the Bergen Record. Uh, he went to a good school, Arizona State. We actually went to school together. This is our second time do, uh, hosting a podcast together. Just shout out to the uh, Arizona State uh, football podcast we used to co-host back in college. How's it going, Justin? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm getting weird, like, nostalgic vibes right now, but I guess we're talking baseball and not, like, the too deep in spring practice. So it's uh, come, a long, <laughs> come a long way from that. Yeah, how's Christian Sam's looking this year? I know. Yeah, seriously. I, I um, Manny Wilkins, I, I'm, like, trying to think of the third string right guard right now and, like, what we saw them do in practice. Um, I have it charted down in my notebook, but I don't think I can read my chicken scratch, so – We'll have to just like keep talking like we did on Palm Talk. You, I hope you put the, the intro song in too. I wish I could. I wish I could because of rights we couldn't, but it was it was truly great. Um, yeah. Uh, so you cover started covering baseball, covering the Mets uh, around when I started covering the Angels. And in that time, you have covered two owners, uh, two, uh, three general managers now, uh, and three managers. Uh, how has that been? Uh, crazy in a word. I think, um, I got in the middle of 2019. So like the latter few months of, uh, Mickey Calloway's tenure. Um, so that was just like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him as well, obviously as I do like Luis Rojas, but, um, yeah, just, just weird. I think I, everybody knew Mickey was going to be, um, was going to be fired, but just like the Carlos Beltran stuff, that was weird, but you had an inkling that would happen once his name was literally like the only former player name to show up in that report. Um, and then, yeah, ownership change, which, um, you know, precipitated the, uh, like the front office house cleaning. And it's, that's been, uh, it's been weird. A lot of, a lot of moving parts, but it looks like a little more consistency coming up now. Uh, and what has covering a team like that been? I mean, I know it's sort of a similar vibe with the Angels. Not not quite the same. Obviously, it's not New York. It's not New York media market. Uh, but just that feeling of uh, they're always going to be involved in something for better or for worse. Like they'll be involved in the big free agents. Uh, and when some of the stuff off the field happens, like they'll typically find a way to be involved as well. West Coast Mets, baby. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, that's the perfect. It, it is, it is strangely like the Angels if you take out like the big market vibe from it. But yeah, no, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty fun atmosphere because I think um, it always keeps you on your toes. Like for me personally, and um, yeah, they're always going to be at least you know even under the Wilpons like considering big free agents or like or like even linked, but now under Cohen are going to be you would think in on a lot of those big free agents like they were this winter, but um. It, it was weird like under previous ownership because it's like I can I could see and I didn't even grow up here but I could see like why fans were are always waiting for the other shoe to drop like when something good happens because like then there's always the off-field mess like the manager yells at a reporter and then like doesn't even apologize and then calls down like the press corps again to like actually apologize so just things like that um I could see even being there like toward the the end of the Wilpon um days were just like I could get a good glimpse of why the fans were just so um, shell-shocked about everything. And, like, I don't even know what the right word for it is. Traumatized, probably, because it's like they're always just so used to being, like, 
even though they're a big market team, being a laughing stock um, for what happens off the field mostly. And so, yeah, it's really kept me on my toes, but it's crazy to just like envision. Um, Cause I know like you're from the West coast. I am, things are pretty chill over there. Like I don't really think people care about a sports by about sports by and large, as much as they do here. Um, and so like for all that stuff and all that circus to happen here, it makes it even like crazier. So it's been, it's been weird when you literally show up to the ballpark every day and then like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you leave thinking like how the hell did that just happen? And then uh, you just touched upon it that you grew up in Southern California. You grew up in San Diego. Uh, Where did the angels sort of fit for you growing up in San Diego in that sort of Southern California baseball uh, sort of picture. And obviously things are a little bit different now uh, for the Padres for the Dodgers just won a world series and the Angels have sort of been uh, basically where they've been for the last half decade or so. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually, um, I probably threw them out. But when I was younger, I had two Angels shirts from the 2002 World Series. Like the, the shirts they literally sell um, online, like after they win the World Series with like the team on them and the logo and everything like that. The first and commercial like, going into as soon as the last outs recorded, like, get your gear now. Heck yes. And I got my gear, one of the white ones, one of the red ones. And I used to wear those all the time. And I think it was, it was cool. Cause I was a huge Padre fan and they were um, growing up and they were, they were good around that time, but the angels, like seeing them, I remember there was Southern California teams and seeing them go all the way. I loved um, like XD. I mean, my favorite player was Troy Glouse, like one of my favorite players gro- growing up. And so like, that's a completely random like name, but I don't know why he was like one of my favorites, but he was. And uh, David X, like, I just remember, I just remember watching, I was like six years, I don't know, we were like five or six years old and it was just like super cool to see a team like from near your hometown make it that far because I mean, I went to the 98 World Series, but I was like two years old, so I didn't remember anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I was a Padre fan growing up and stuff. And so now that's that's cool to see them. And I want to say like their resurgence, but they really like haven't been good other than like 84, 98, a part of the 2000s and like now. And so it, it actually is cool for like the city that uh, the rebuild has seemed to work so far. But like people say, man, you kind of measure it in championships and and it it's almost like you feel like the Padres window is opening, but the Dodgers being right there in the division almost like is metaphorically like shutting the window and like keeping it jammed shut and it's going to be the Padres are talented but if you look at both teams man like especially on paper like the Dodgers are still like a a step and a half above at least and it's uh so it's going to be interesting I mean the Padres have you know they want to brand themselves as that hungry team and they've got a lot to fight for to be cliche you know and um they kind of want to take over that division and kind of make themselves known and yeah, they're going to get – we're going to get uh, – I think it's 19 – we're going to get, you know, a lot of showdowns this year. So, I don't know um, – you know, I don't know if we'll be lucky enough to get, like, a brawl or, or anything interesting like that. But me thinks that uh, there's going to be a lot of drama between those two. It's going to be – it's going to be interesting. And then, of course, yeah, you have the Angels. I mean, I still follow the Angels, but uh, I don't – you know, my – I, I didn't pick up any shirts since that 2002 <laughs> World Series <laughs> – uh, I mean, you've had the opportunity sort of shifted gears a little bit to cover. Uh, I mean, obviously, you are covering the Mets now. You've had a chance to cover spring trainings both in Arizona and in Florida. And, I mean, now, obviously, I mean, you're in the position of, as a beat writer. Like, everyone's sort of 
going down to these like last little battles uh, when it comes to roster spots. Um, I mean, Angels obviously have had a really interesting week in that regard because it looks like Jose Rojas is going to make the roster, which is something if you told me that beginning of spring, like that would have been, I would have set his odds like out of on scale one to 10, probably like one or two, uh, just because like, yeah, he's, he's basically has been everything we've known him to be uh, throughout the time since we've known him. I mean, he's just been a really productive player who never really cracked any prospect lists because he was a 36th round pick. He's 28 years old. Like he hasn't, I mean, he's been left vulnerable two straight rule five drafts never been taken. Like every team had the chance to sort of take him, put him on the big league roster. So like, Hey, you've hit the minors, go hit in the big leagues, get this chance. And now he has it. It seems like he has it. It's not official as of the time we're recording this on a Friday, Uh, but it looks like he's going to make the opening day roster. Uh, It looks like, I mean, there's a good chance that maybe that Chris Rodriguez, who's one of the top pitching prospects in the organization, might have a chance to make the uh, opening day roster in a bullpen role to start the year. So that, that'll be interesting. And I think, I mean, we'll see. I mean, there's former Met uh, Juan Lagares, who it looks like after John Jay was released today and Jesse Chavez was also released today on the bullpen side. But it, it looks like Juan Lagares is going to be the fourth outfielder. I mean, you had a chance to cover him. I mean, what were some of your impressions of him then? And what were some like some of these offensive uh, jumps he's made? Like were those things that he you had a sense he was working on? That anything he sort of tapped into there, or is this something that sort of came uh, out of left field or out of right field uh, for you? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, if you look at his numbers, like when I went on the beat and like looked at his numbers, like this is a guy who had a very hot start to his career, and like someone I know, like Mets fans, like expected to be way better than than a guy who just eventually reached, you know, free agency and, and went elsewhere. But um, yeah, I think some of that stuff, you know, could be sustained. Like he's definitely got a better bat than a lot of um, fourth outfielders there. I don't know if, if that stuff is sustainable personally. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie and say it is, but um, I think the big thing with him is that if you look at his age at his age, he's still playing a better center field than a lot of, you know, depth outfielders and backup outfielders. And I think that'll be the big thing, especially, you know, for the angels. Like if he, I think a change of scenery um, as cliche as it sounds like sometimes does help. And I think now with him not being in that weird season with like, you know, just 60 games and then, then you only had the alternate site um, maybe like getting a chance, you know, to crack this roster uh, I think he could do some good. I mean, I think his bat is much better than, than what he showed like the last year he was with the Mets in 2019. But um, I mean, I think, I think it's a good, uh, yeah, I think it's good for the angels. I think you could find a lot worse backup outfielder, especially for a fourth outfielder guy who still plays a very capable center field. And I like, I mean, I saw that with my eyes and he was injured part of the year, but also like the, the metrics when I went back and like was looking it up, you know, really, really backed that up. Cause I remember I was doing a story on former backup outfielders that this team has had in recent years, um, the Mets. And he was like, Lagarus was a head above, you know, somebody like Keon Broxton, for example. And so I feel like he's a very capable, like fourth outfielder guy that, um, that really could, you know, come out of left field. Yeah. And what was sort of the story for Ligaris those last couple of years with the Mets? Because it seemed like he was sort of like that everyday uh, center fielder type, obviously didn't play as much the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. Didn't play as much the last couple of years as, you know, Brandon Nimmo. And then they, you know, and then Nimmo gets hurt. So Michael Conforto went over to, to center field, but didn't really play that much 
his last couple of years there, uh, mainly because I think, you know, his, his bat became a little bit of a liability. And when you have a guy like that, who he, you know, he plays a capable center field, um, the Mets, you know, turning that corner with the young core they had uh, needed a little bit more of that, that bat. And I think um, that was kind of the story there. And I remember him, you know, being injured, you know, banged up here and there, but it was, uh, it was, it was a thing where I remember talking to him and he was like very confident that he could still um, play. Cause I remember there was a couple weeks stretch where he got a lot of playing time. It actually did really well in that split of like the two weeks that he got regular playing time due to injuries elsewhere. Um, and so for him, like, I remember him feeling like he just didn't have the opportunity. And I think that's a really hard thing in baseball. Cause some guys, some guys are fine, like not knowing when their next to bat is and like they, they play well that way. But I think for him, it was like he felt like he played so well during that one little stretch, you know, that he hit that he got to play regularly. And it was tough for him to then have that like pulled back after toward the end of the season when when people did come back. And so I think um, I think he's hungry just to get like consistent playing time. And, and I know like you could say that for everybody that they'd be better if they like played consistently or then that's when they play their best. But I think for him, it was, it was weird because during that couple weeks, it was like old Juan Lagares from like years before. Um, and he was actually playing really well. And then it, the kind of the story was like the Mets with his option just needed, didn't, didn't need him. Um, anymore with you know Brandon Nimmo and then they had two left field options with Dom Smith and then JD Davis at the time and then Conforto and right field um they went a different route and eventually just traded for um Jake Marisnik who was just going to be you know cheaper in the long run because they weren't going to keep him so it was uh yeah I think Juan Lagares is still very capable but it's um it was I mean he definitely struggled there you know in the middle of the season especially when he wasn't getting consistent playing time, he, he seemed like a liability. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got a chance to get some of those reps this winter uh, in the winter ball. He right. won Caribbean Series MVP and <laughs> showed himself really, really well uh, Run the Angels. Uh, basically from the moment he set foot in camp and he had a 450-foot homer the other day, uh, he's probably going to be the fourth outfielder type. Uh, Angels are pretty set in, re- in center field for now. Uh, but uh, You think? I think so. Yeah. Uh, Dexter <laughs> Fowler is, um, Fowler's probably going to start the season in right field. It sounds like, I know he had a tough spring, but it sounds like, uh, Joe Madden really has believed in him. And that's part of why they traded for him. Uh, we'll see how right field shakes out the course of the season. Obviously Joe Adele, I fully expect to be in that mix at some point during the year. Uh, once he gets more time down the minors, whenever they start up, uh, and then Brandon Marsh obviously is in the mix as well. But man, Ligaris is a guy who, like you mentioned, you can play all three spots and, I mean, he's shown some pop of the bat. Um, there's no easy transition from this. And obviously it's a difficult subject. And obviously like we're not necessarily the best people I've always talk about this sort of an issue when it comes to uh, obviously uh, sort of living to the uh, Mickey Calloway situation of the current Angels pitching coach uh, who has not, still not been let go or anything like that. He's currently suspended uh, and currently under investigation by Major League Baseball, the Athletic uh, had a couple of reports uh, come out about his sort of his behaviors in the workplace with female reporters, with uh, just girlfriends of uh, players, of just random women, uh, just throughout his time in the majors, uh, throughout his time in coaching, including back in the minors with Cleveland, um, and then with the Mets as manager, and then including his time uh, as Angels pitching coach. Um, I, as instead of like, I obviously like. 
there's so much more that, like so much that we can say about like sort of what we can do as male reporters in the industry of just to sort of like speak out and be vigilant and sort of call these things out when we see them and obviously that's something i know is sort of within the industry within baseball within the world that we live in uh let alone it's not just obviously a mickey Callaway problem it's not just the mets problem uh although like they obviously there are different people at fault uh different stages of fault throughout this but i, I guess i'm curious like how how have the mets approach uh obviously the subject this winter because obviously it's something they've been involved in multiple t- in multiple occasions and I, I just sort of like i'll i can differ a little bit in sort of how the angels sort of handle it so far with in terms of like they've they suspended him uh when the first re- uh report came out and basically from that point on they have not commented publicly outside of their original comment and they're basically leaving it up to major league baseball who has still continued their investigation they have an interim pitching coach they have an interim bullpen coach they pretty much have a plan in place but they have not let him go yet uh how have you seen the Mets sort of handle this I think the Mets's handling of it has um or the message that they've tried to send oh I guess first off I, I wanted to preface before that by saying like I do agree with you um we're not the best people to be speaking about this um in terms of like what we could do because we don't face it every day but in terms of how the Mets handled it I think their messaging came more via what happened to Jared Porter, uh, the swift firing of Jared Porter um, one night on a Monday night, uh, January 19th, I think it was, an ESPN report dropped about, you know, his lewd behavior and sending um, unsolicited, you know, an unsolicited picture of his penis, as well as like other images um, that were lewd and and unsolicited. Um, He was fired by the announcement came uh, before 8 a.m. the next morning. So I think the Mets wanted to be very swift with that but um in light of that in light of what happened later with mickey calloway obviously they noted and i know um you know their statement was in the athletic story is pretty much the extent of you know what they said about that matter itself um but what sandy alderson team president later said um about mickey calloway was just that he was he was a hot commodity back you know when before in 2017 when they were looking for a manager and, and Sandy was very honest about it and saying that, you know, Hey, there were a few other teams that, that wanted you know, multiple teams that wanted to interview him, wanted to lock him up. And so the Mets felt that they moved quickly and that felt that they had to move quickly. And and looking back, Sandy Alderson, like, you know, asked himself, you know, there on that zoom call, like if it was too quickly and he said like, yeah, you know, it might, might've been like a little too fast. And I think, um, what they the Mets vowed to do from that is to change the hiring process in terms of talking to different groups of women and different women to um to get a better gauge of of people like whether that works whether that's the best way to do it like I don't know but um but that's what they they did say about that and I think uh that goes kind of what happened with Mickey Calloway there and how he was hired goes to speak to this culture and in, in baseball right where like he was this hot commodity because of what he did at work and what he did with the pitching staff in Cleveland that he was going to get a managerial job that offseason it was almost just a matter of which team but really like nobody ever thought about these other things or nobody ever it, like somewhere on the line like obviously we know from you know your company's reporting that people didn't take this into account seriously like didn't do what they should have with the information they received, you know, from these women. Um, 
but I think the way the Mets have approached it, uh, Sandy was not there during the, he had already taken leave when the Mets g- received um, word of, you know, an incident that had happened with Mickey um, when he was the Mets manager, Sandy had already gone. But I think like Sandy reflected on a recent zoom call that I was mentioning just about how they need to be more careful with these things, how they need to find some way, whether it is talking to women or other underrepresented groups, um, about you know people to get the best sense of of characters or st- of a character or stepping up background checks how they need to find some way to unearth some of these things that you know you don't want to represent your organization and more importantly you don't want in baseball because it's it's obviously you know it's unacceptable like nobody should ever have to feel uncomfortable in the workplace just because of you know their gender just because of who they are and i think um that's how the mets approached it like i said you know the jury is still out. Like we're still waiting for, for meaningful action to see if this actually, you know, actually works past, you know, being just lip service. But I think it was, um, you know, I think it was, it was candid of Sandy to just um, approach it like he did and saying that, that maybe, you know, they probably were too quick to, to hire Mickey and not consider a lot of, of the baggage that could have come and obviously did come with him. But um that's really how they approached it. And I think uh, we saw it a lot, like I said, in the, the Jared Porter messaging and the Zoom call that followed that, and just how they're not going to tolerate this and they want to have kind of a specific standard of conduct that they uphold in the organization. And that's why swift action was taken. Now, going forward, and you, you mentioned this, I think um, swift action is fine. Uh, a con- you know, a standard of conduct and, and setting the bar, setting the example is, is fine. But I think uh, the only way real tangible progress is going to be made is if we kind of unwind the web of like this culture that that has created a lot of these issues and has created a lot of these situations. And that is going to be, you know, what's actually going to create the change, not just, you know, firing a Jared Porter. Yeah. Uh, and sort of going back to something you said is sort of like Sandy has talked about this. Sandy Alderson, the president of the Mets, uh, he's, he's spoken more than most have who've sort of been involved in the story. Obviously some of the things he said have not, like he said, were not necessarily things that were uh, taken well. I probably deservedly right. so. Like there were things that probably weren't received all that great. Um, the angels have not really spoken that much about this when they have declined to comment on this. I know Perry Manassian did say the new GM for the angels. He wasn't around when Mickey Callie was hired. Um, he did say that they are taking a look at sort of their vetting process, their hiring process, and we'll make some changes. He didn't go into details on what that's going to look like. Uh, but yeah, sort of like a similar story of what happened with him getting hired by the Mets was him getting hired by the angels. I think it was about a couple of weeks after the Mets fired him uh, when Joe Madden reached out to him. Uh, and they, they just made a quick hire. Uh, and obviously, I mean, it's just one year on the job, but he, there were multiple cases that were included in the athletics reporting uh, that took place during that year on the job so far, including his first day on the job uh, with the Angels. Uh, so, I mean, this is obviously something that the Angels have been waiting for this to play out by Major League Baseball's investigation. They, ha- they didn't fire him the day afterwards, sort of like that message with Porter. Porter did admit to sending those messages. Mickey Calloway has continued to sort of deny the reporting and the allegations. Um, but basically I, I I'm curious personally, just as someone who beyond just covering the angels, 
like what they're looking for, like what are they waiting for, what sort of exculpatory evidence they could possibly try be trying to find, like could, could possibly find uh, in this case with Mickey Calloway and what this sort of like slow playing of the story does like in terms of uh, culture, organizational culture, things that the angels I know have been trying to change in the last year or so. Uh, and also just trying to like, figure out like what, what part of like what part of this is gonna like what results from this is satisfactory i don't think any of it really is because it's a horrible thing to happen obviously and it's not something that, like it, it's not just mickey calloway that this happened uh, right. this stuff happens uh and we'll, we'll see i mean um it, it's just hard to really sort of i mean it's a horrible thing that's happened and it's something that we need to be vigilant about to sort of keep unwinding and happening i think part of it like the longer this goes on we'll see like I, I find it hard to believe that like this is something that was uh, that teams didn't know about. If it's something that like w- uh, female reporters in Los Angeles were warned about Mickey Calloway when he got hired, when it's called the worst kept secret in sports. Like how, I don't, th- I don't fully believe when people say like they didn't fully know, I'm not say, trying to accuse anyone of lying or anything like that. I just, we just don't, it's hard to like track that logic. I think that's the big thing that we're, sort of waiting on as part of this investigation. And I wonder what, if anything else is going to come out at, at the end result of this. Uh, and obviously, I mean, the angels, it seems like they have that plan to move forward from him. And obviously, I mean, he obviously like pitching coaches. Yeah. They do good work. Like he's a pitching coach at the end of the day. Like they can move on from him. Uh, they can sort of, if they feel like it, this behavior, like if the, once this investigation comes out, like I would imagine that they have a different pitching coach. And they move forward and they try to find ways to move on from this. Hopefully they took some stuff, some actual measures and are better from it. Right. I think um, you hit the nail on the head. Look, he's a pitching coach. Even if he were the winningest manager in major league baseball history, because of what he's done, he has no place in baseball right now. And I, you know, I feel comfortable saying that because I just don't like, I don't think there is a place for behavior like that. And I know like, I get it. Like we've all, you know, made mistakes. Like we've all, you know, like none of us are perfect, but doing that, making people feel uncomfortable in their workplace, um, making advances like that. Women shouldn't have to be warned about somebody like this. It shouldn't be, you know, as it was quoted in the athletic story, the worst kept secret in baseball. That's, it's just ridiculous to read those things and to think about, like to think about them, to think about that this was dubbed the worst kept secret in baseball and that you know, women were warned about him is ridiculous. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting. And I don't want to say interesting because that has a good, it has a positive connotation. It's it's going to be rather almost disgusting to, to really find out a lot of these details about what teams did actually know, because I think we're going to learn, um, not that we don't already know, but that there's a line between knowing and taking action, right? And I think, um, I think, there are probably a lot of people through this and I, like you did, I don't, don't want to accuse anybody, but I think there are a lot of people through the line, something like this doesn't go, you know, somebody like this doesn't have a job for this long without being protected in some facet, um, form or fashion. And I think um, we're going to discover, or that investigation will tell us that a lot of people down the line um you know, did not do anything with what they were told either. Maybe they believed the women, but they didn't take enough meaningful action to really change any of this. And I think that's 
that really is going to be something that we all are going to need to to look in the mirror about because there's that difference between, okay, you know, like a lot of these people who knew, yeah, they probably thought it was wrong, but they obviously didn't think it was wrong enough to, to take meaningful action. They didn't, um, you know, or the people above them didn't think that it was important enough. And I think all of that, just the, the nasty culture of that has to be unwired in this sport. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, yeah, intriguing to see what comes of it because this is something, these allegations are far too many and far too detailed to, to just be a blip. And, um, you know, they could have moved on from him the night of, and I know that, you know, there are lawyers involved, obviously that things aren't that easy with contracts and whatnot, but this investigation is going to give us the best sense of, of how he was um, propped up down the line and how people, you know, did not take this seriously or who protected him um, because this should not have, this should not be going through organization, to organization, to organization. I mean, somebody, something, somebody down the line should have done something. And I think that's, uh, that's like probably the saddest part. Again, like we're not the best people to be speaking on this because we've never faced it. Um, and we've never had to deal with advances from somebody like Mickey Calloway. But I do think that it's just, you hope that with whatever comes from the investigation that we can all be more aware that um, behavior in baseball, like the culture isn't as appropriate as maybe we all think it is. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, sort of wrapped up that uh, sort of conversation about Mickey there. Um, let's move on to a little bit to the sort of fan mailback questions that uh, these are sort of pulled from. Uh, in part from my live Q&A at The Athletic this past week, uh, just some conversations, some of them are roster building questions, but like I think sort of big picture will be interesting sort of from your perspective to take a look at this as someone who covers the Mets instead. Uh, I mean, one of the questions from Matt R. Uh, was if Otani, Upton, and Heaney all have back, bounce back seasons, I know, big if in parentheses they said, uh, and Trout <laughs> stays healthy, how far do you see the Angels going? Oh, well, Matt R. Yeah, that's uh, you're writing big ifs and, and big fonts there. That's uh, but if okay, if they're all, if they all have bounce back seasons, they're out. I think, I think they could make the playoffs, and here's why. And you and I were talking about this before. Um, and I took a like when we were talking, I took a look at Houston's roster. Houston, I think, is more talented than the Angels, but I think there's an opportunity if Houston has like some injuries. I really think the angels could take advantage because um, Houston, especially without Springer, isn't going to be the same team. You know, like we don't know what Verlander is going to like, what's going to happen with that situation. I think the Astros have obvious holes in that roster. So I think the angels are talented enough where they, they could win the division. Like, and I think that's the best case scenario though. Like where I likely, you know, if, if they perform up to expectations slash overperform, I think it's a wild card appearance, but I, I think, you know, I think they could realistically win the division. Yeah, I think that's sort of like a 90th percentile scenario for the Angels. Like basically, right. where like if Shohei Otani is basically this version of himself for a full season, if Justin Upton basically is what he has been this spring and what he was last September, which is a streaky but a really good hitter, seemed like he had some like sort of juice back in his bat uh, that has been missing the last couple of years because of injury. Uh, it seems like both of those things have been the case this spring. And Andrew, I think Andrew Heaney was really good last year. I, I know obviously he had some. 
uh, maybe the surface stats aren't that great, but I, I think by Fangraphs War, he was like around where Garrett Cole was. Like he he was a productive starting pitcher. Like he was very good. He was not the issue with the rotation last year. Um, so I mean, fall three have really good years, and Trout stays healthy. Like that's a good starting point. I think obviously having Rendon helps as well. Like the, this Angels team's floor, I think, is a lot higher than it's been in the last couple of years. I think right. it's part of like how Perry Manassian has gone about building this team this winter. It's been a lot about depth. Uh, knowing that you're going to go from a 60 game season to 162, uh, I think that they're going to, they're not necessarily going to be like what they were in 2019 when they like lost 90 games. They won't, I don't think they're going to be that team. Uh, and I think their best case scenario is like if enough of these guys in the rotation go right. I know it's sort of been the common thread the last few years, but it seems like they have like more guys and more options to go through before they reach that like end point. Um, yeah, I think it's a better starting point. I think. Uh, Houston, like you mentioned, they're losing Springer. I think they're also they're relying on a lot of young starting, a lot of young pitching in general. Yeah, and like they, yeah. They, that was fine last year, but I think that that was sixty games, and a lot of those guys sort of managed. Like they, you can hide some guys over sixty games, which is kind of what the uh, what the Astros did last year. Uh, I don't know if they could do that over the course of one sixty two. Uh, there's a path for the Angels to win the division. I don't think they're the favorites by any means. Uh, but yeah, like I think they're definitely in that mix for sure. And if enough goes right, like their ceiling is definitely winning the division. Um, yeah. Second question from uh, Joseph S. Uh, what's your favorite root food at a road ballpark? I like this question because I don't go to a lot of those Annalise ballparks that you do, and you don't go to the AL West ballparks like I do. So I'll let you go first. Oh man, my first instinct on this one was actually at NL West ballpark. It was actually San Francisco's garlic fries. Okay, that's good. At, yeah, at, I, I like I like that. But uh, um, I'm trying to think of a good NL East one. Eh, Washington's not that. Uh, Miami is. Eh. Um, honestly, the the Philly food is probably the best. Obviously, like a cheesesteak from from anywhere in Citizens Bank ballpark or Citizens Bank Park is is good. Um, but I. <laughs> That's funny because I thought of I immediately thought of San Francisco's garlic fries, man. Like those are to die for. Like I would take those every night. Like if I were covering an NOS team, Angels go to San Francisco this year, so that's good. I, I, I mean, I, I answered this in the Q and A. I sort of like thinking about it a little bit more. Like they're like it's still the same answer, but I found of a sec, thought of a second answer that was just as good. Uh, I, I I said in the Q and A uh, at T-Mobile Park they have a crab sandwich there. They also have a clam chowder there, like the same place. And it's like wow. Really nice, like, walking distance uh, from the press box, like, same press level, I think. And it's really easy and convenient to get to. And if I leave the right amount, like, at the right time, I can do it. I can get to that line when everything's fresh. And it's not a super long line. Gates haven't been open that long. Uh, and it's great. I love it. Uh, I do it every time I'm in Seattle. Um, the second one I was thinking of is it's technically at the ballpark, so this counts. Uh, I'm going to say the food trucks in Oakland. Like, it's just great to have that sort of variety and options. Oakland's not a great ballpark to work at, but like that makes it, <laughs> you eat well those those few games. So I, I'll say Oakland's uh, food trucks are definitely that's up interesting. There as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never been there, so that's a good. Uh, I've never covered a game there, so that's a good. Um, I I had no clue. That's that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'm sorry that uh, Lolita's at the park in San in San Diego didn't quite didn't quite I, crack the list. It's not in a ballpark. I, you're never having me on this podcast again. That was, yeah, no, that that one's not quite the part. But Phil's, I mean, Phil's is uh, Phil's is up there. Phil's is up there. But the thing is, is like, 
it's not like a barbecue specific like it's not a specific thing to san diego it's just like barbecue yeah. like it's good barbecue but it's not like it's like you're getting jack stack in cincinnati and it would be like in kaufman stadium which you know it's not but like uh, yeah you i it's not specific so i i get that but if lolitas were in there boy that'd be up there. i'd be uh that'd, yeah that'd be on the list and then we'll, we'll end this with a quick like we'll rapid fire uh just because you cover a team that has one of the top possible free agent shortstops on the market this winter uh, in Francisco Lindor. Uh, the Angels are going to be probably looking for a shortstop after this year. I mean, they have they acquired Jose Iglesias this winter, but he'll be a free agent after the season. Um, so I'm going to go down the line of each of these shortstops, and you're going to tell me what team they're going to play for in 2022. All right, ready? All right, go. Francisco Lindor. Mets, I mean – I, I'm about after Steve Cohen tweeted asking the fans like what what, what they thought Lindor would accept. I'm about, I'm about ready to bet the studio apartment on this one. I think yeah, I think he resigns. Yeah, I, I think you don't trade for a Francisco Lindor unless you feel like really confident that you're gonna be able to resign him or that you're not gonna basically do everything you can to resign him. So I think he's gonna be a New York Met uh, in 2022 and beyond. Carlos Correa. Ooh, that's a good one. Let me go with uh, let me go with the Mariners. The Mariners on Oh, I need the Mariners on that one. The Mariners. I think I think with the young guys coming up, I think they try to make a splash. I at first, I actually, I'm looking at my list right now. I had him in Cincy, but I was like, you know what? I think with the young guys coming up, uh, the Mariners will just try to do something for the fans, especially like you know to try to get excitement going for the first time in in a minute. And I think those fans deserve something. I think uh, that one's a bit out of left field, but. Um, I, I wouldn't bet the studio apartment on that one, but I, I like that. I've got an interesting one. I'm going to say uh, Carlos Correa goes to the Giants. Uh, they need a shortstop for the future. Brandon Crawford is going to be gone. They don't really have a lot of depth there long term. This is a franchise that has spent a lot in the past. I know the NOS is going to be tough, but like they're, they might see that like this is the time to start pushing forward. And Carlos Correa is the youngest of these shortstops on the list. Like, so you're going to have a chance to sort of build into something. So I'm going to go with Carlos Correa to the Giants. Um, yeah, I like that. Corey Seager. Give me uh, – you're, you're going to laugh at me. Give me the Yankees. The Yankees – Okay. I, give me the Yankees because, like, Glaber – yeah, like, okay. that They, they need a short – a shortstop. And they're, they definitely want a – come on. Like, they want a premier superstar, like star shortstop. And I think – I think because Lindor is going to be re-signing with the Mets, um, betting the studio apartment on that one, I, I think they're going to go after somebody like Seager. I could really see that because they're going to want somebody there long-term. Uh, I'm going to go with a team that's looking to win now, and that's going to be a team that plays in the South, which is where Corey Seager's from. And they're a team that has like their young talents locked up long-term. I'm going to go with the Braves. I think that's really interesting. I know they have a shortstop in Dansby Swanson already. Uh, but I think you have a chance to add a hitter like Corey Seager. I think the Braves sort of saw firsthand last year, the NLCS, just how much of an impact he can have. I know the Dodgers probably will make an attempt to bring him back, but I think obviously they have some decisions to make there when it comes to that young trio of Seager, Bellinger, and Bueller. And I think they're more likely to sort of hold on to Bellinger and Bueller than Seager, just considering the injury history there. All right. right, that would be uh, Lindor, Seager, and Trey Turner in the same division would be uh, fun. 
It would be. It would be fun. Almost as fun as uh, if it's Seeger, Correa, and Tatis, which would be also really fun. <laughs> that would that would be pretty good. Could happen. Yeah, the Giants are the Giants are a good fit, but I don't know. If, yeah. Anyways, uh, these are rapid fire, so let's get to it. Javier Baez. Oh man, I needed I needed one just to make the uh, the home listeners, the home the home fans on this podcast happy. I'm gonna go with the Halos. I, I mean, they need a shortstop. Showing they're willing to spend. You know this all too well that they're showing they're willing to spend. And I I, I think I did Baez specifically because he's got like that Southern California like swagger that would play very well there to that fan base. Like I think he would be like a I think he would be a hit in a market like that. Like I think. Um, I think he I think he fits them really well. You know, they want to spend that would take their roster kind of to the next tier, you would think. Um, you would hope. Uh, and they've got a lot of money because like you mentioned before the podcast, somebody's coming off the books. Yeah, Albert Pujols is coming off the books, and Javier Baez did play under Joe Madden for a while. Did I think he won a World Series with him? I think so. So uh people, that's an people option. forget that. Uh, I think Javier Baez stays with the Cubs. I think they choose two out of the three between him, Rizzo, and Bryant. I think Bryant's the odd man out there. Uh, I think they keep Baez. They try to keep Rizzo if possible. Um, Trevor Story. Oh, man. I This one, I, I this is just pure speculation, but let's let's put them on the Cardinals. Like, let's reunite those two um, who were there in, in Colorado. I think, look, Colorado – they're going to like try, try in air quotes to resign him. But like, why would you ever like he, I mean, he's heard enough, seen enough. I, I think he leaves. Uh, I think um, it's interesting. I think Texas is looming just because that's a place where he grew up. They probably want to spend some money. They tried to spend a lot of money on Anthony Rendon. And he chose to sign with the angels. Uh, I'm going to go with Trevor story signing with the angels. I think he will. I, I think he's sort of like the type of guy that like, that's the type of guy Artie Moreno would gravitate towards. That's the type of guy that, like, you build, you picture that infield, that left side of the infield down the line. That, like, it's going to be Rendon and Story. Like, yeah, you roll with that. And that's probably, you probably, if Correa leaves the division in this scenario, like, you probably have the best shortstop in the division at that point. And, like, that's a big, a big punch. And, like, I think you'll take that. Like, you replace, you take Albert Pujols out, you replace him with Trevor Story. I think. Like that's obviously a massive upgrade for multiple reasons for the Angels. I think helps long term. I know obviously there's maybe some positional concerns, like how long he'll be at shortstop. Will he mo- need to move to third base long term? What does that mean for Rendon? But I think just the full skill set of what Trevor Story can do, I think makes a lot of sense for the Angels. All right, the, these next two are Angels ties. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jose Iglesias first, the current Angel shortstop. The current Angel shortstop. I could see like the pirates there or some team like that. Uh, Cause I think that'll be his best chance to make money is with a lesser, like a uh, team that isn't as good, but needs to like, at least show that they're trying to do something, you know, so they're not going to be in the market for any stars. And I think he would be a decent fit somewhere like that. And that's, that's probably his, his best ceiling to, to make, you know, a decent amount of money, still start, still play a lot, um, keep his value up. Uh, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. I think I know it's a reunion there. He's played there before. They've kind of been looking to fill that shortstop position basically ever since he left. And they still are looking to fill that shortstop position. They will be next year. I think that's still a team that, like, I know they cut a lot of salary this winter. And I don't think they're going to go out and be big spenders again this winter. But, like, 
they still have a competitive roster. I mean, they still have Sonny Gray. They still have Luis Castillo. Uh, they still have Mike Moustakas, Nick Castellanos. Like, they still have some young talent. Jonathan India is probably debut at some point this year. You got Nick Sincel. Like, like, that's a team, like, in a competitive division. Like, and they need a shortstop, and he fits pretty well there. So, I think he goes back to Cincinnati. Uh, and then last, uh, old friend, Angelton Simmons, where does he go? I, okay, I didn't, I didn't put the Reds yet. Um, and he was, he was my Reds pick for all the reasons you just mentioned. They're really just, they need a shortstop. They've been looking to fill it. They need a capable shortstop. And I think, um, I think he does the trick, like you said, like with their roster. And I think, um, I mean, they're, the, the point is simple. They need a shortstop. Like I know they were reports that they were checking in on like Ahmed Rosario back, you know, um, after the Mets traded him to the, to Cleveland um, and they really just haven't been able to fill it. And I think uh, Simmons is kind of as, as solid as, as you can find without them having to go for a star or really like pay more. I really like Simmons's fit in Minnesota, like a lot. I, I think it's really good uh, for this year. Uh, I'm obviously it depends on health. If he's healthy, I think he gets more of a multi-year deal opportunity than he did this past year. And I think for that reason, I, I put him with the Yankees. Uh, like that's a wow. team that like, has some issues in terms of positional fits as is because they have like DJ LeMahieu locked up long term. They have some decisions to make, but I think with the Yankees, probably their big picture. I mean, they still have Stanton's contract. They still have Garrett Cole's contract. They have to make decisions soon on Clayber Torres and uh, Aaron Judge. And I, I think they're probably going to focus their big money acquisitions on those sort of guys. But I think Simmons is the type of guy who like puts you over the top. Like you're already like or at that point, but you want to improve your infield's defense, all of a sudden you throw him in there. You don't have to worry about his bat. And I think I think you could see Labor Torres take a step forward offensively if he has less of the strain of playing shortstop on him. Uh, I, I really like that fit there. Yeah, that would be good. That's something certainly like, you know, they're not lacking for talent. The guy the guy beside him in, in that middle infield there would be uh would also be a, a nice fit for for him to be with. I think, like you said, they're a team that that is there um, kind of, they could be over the top based on how they play. If they don't have like 30 injuries, like they have the past couple of years, you know, in the middle of the season, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. His fit in Minnesota is, is kind of, kind of cool though. I think, um, I think that's good. I love those halo ties though. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, I think that will wrap up this episode of 27th heaven. Thanks again to, Justin Toscano of the Bergen record for joining me. Where can people find you? Yeah, man. Justin C. Toscano on, uh, on Twitter and then uh, NorthJersey.com online on the interwebs. So yeah, appreciate you having me, man. It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Just, just a shame we didn't get an ASU football question in there. Of course. I mean, maybe during football season, we'll have a chance to do that. Um, at, as far as my work at the athletic, uh, I just published a roster projection uh, that, was a little bit out of date now just because like John Jay and uh, Jesse Chavez got released, but neither of them were in my final projection. So a little spoiler there, but you can check that out. We still have a deal going right now. I believe it's a uh, $1 a month for the first six months and got some really exciting stuff coming up around opening day. And we'll have another podcast. I hope, uh, I think I'm planning on it for around opening day as well. So thanks for listening to episode two. We'll be back with episode three and thanks for listening. 